For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures I will arise and go forth to the house of my young I will arise and go forth to the house of my father I will arise and go forth to the house of my young House of my young Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom, I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Sons of Zion versus the Sons of Greece. This is part two of the series. 1 Maccabees 1.44 For the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the ways of the Greeks, the strange laws of the land. In other words, the laws that were in violation to the commandments of the God of Israel. And these were the things that were ultimately demanded and commanded to be done. 1 Maccabees 1.45 And I want you to pay close attention to this list because this is a major point of the message and understanding the spiritual battle of Hanukkah and, and what you're actually lighting your candles to celebrate. And he forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Sabbath in the festival days. First Maccabees chapter 1 verse 47 and verse 49. And sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts to the end that they might forget the Torah and change all the ordinances. First Maccabees 1.44 Given that the king sent letters that what the Greek ways were and the laws should be followed, that verse 50, whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he should die. You know, at first you could live your life how you want, but now all of a sudden if you don't do according to the Greek ways, which is a violation of how you might want to individually live your life, where they initially might call it freedom, but now now, if you don't do it, there's punishment that he should die. Verse 51 In the selfsame manner wrote he to the whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people, commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. So, since this is a central point of the teaching, let me highlight again what ultimately were the decrees and the outcome of the decrees by Antiochus. Number one, that the people of the God of Israel should not follow the Torah. Number two, that the people of the God of Israel should not circumcise their children. Number three, that the people of the God of Israel should not celebrate the Sabbath. Number four, that the people of the God of Israel should not keep the festivals. Number five, sacrifices should no longer be done in the temple at Jerusalem. And number six, people should be free to eat pig. So these were the decrees and the outcome of the decrees of Antiochus. What I find interesting as I look at this list of decrees and the outcome that came about from the decrees is those things 
is what is taught in modern Christianity today using the New Testament for the rationale of it saying that this is what Paul taught in his letters is the way to follow the Messiah. You see what Antiochus wanted to decree and was unsuccessful at, the enemy tried a new tactic. He wanted to bring in this belief system and he had to bring it in and wrap it in a religious wrapping. And so what was the best religious wrapping to put it in? Those who wanted to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So now he's tying these things. These things are now being tied with those who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, attributing them to Paul. And so the preachers today say this is the way that you are to follow the Messiah because of what he did when he died on the tree and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. When you accept him as your Savior and Lord, this is the way you're supposed to practice your faith. Don't follow the Torah. Don't circumcise your children. Don't keep the Sabbath. Don't keep the festivals. We don't need to have sacrifices in the temple anymore. And we're actually commanded, we're allowed, and we're permitted to eat pig. So, based upon what Antiochus decreed and what they say that Yeshua did for us, Yeshua then actually did for us what Antiochus failed to do by decree. So, Yeshua must therefore be a student of Antiochus because Yeshua is providing for what he decreed that should be done as a way of following Greek rule. You see how our minds got completely changed so that when those decrees were wrapped in a Christian package, then we accept it. And so what has caused us to accept? Because we're looking at the scriptures with Greek eyes and Greek thought, which is human reasoning. From the Jewish Encyclopedia, the influence of Greek ways was called Hellenism among the Jews. Hellenism is the word used to express the assimilation, especially by the Jews, of Greek speech, manners, and cultures from the 4th century through the first centuries of the common area. The victorious campaign of Alexander the Great had linked the East to the West. The victory was not simply a political one. Its spiritual influence was much greater. The Greek language became a common language for near Asia, and with the language went Greek culture, Greek art, and Greek thought. The Greek influence pervaded everything, and even in the very strongholds of Judaism, it modified the organization of the state, the law, in public affairs, art, science, and industry, affecting even the ordinary things of life and the common associations of the people. And so, in our modern world, the influences of our culture, the things we watch on TV and what the media says is proper behavior, influences the way we live our lives rather than adhering and keeping to what the scriptures say is the way that we are to live our lives. By the introduction of Grecian art, a door was opened to debauchery and riotous living. And though Judaism was hardly menaced by the introduction of direct idolatry, the connection of this culture was sublimated Greek polytheism and it became a real danger to the Jewish religion. For this reason the Hellenists are called in the book of Maccabees wicked men, ungodly men. And so in 1 Maccabees 1.10 when Antiochus and he reigned over the kingdom of the Greeks. Verse 11, In those days went there out of Israel wicked men. These are people that profess faith in the God of Israel and following his ways, but yet they're practicing what the culture is wanting and having them to do. There went out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the 
heathen, or let us believe that the way in which our culture should be is according to how Hollywood says and how the media says, and not according to what the book says. And then First Maccabees one twelve. So this device pleased them well. First Maccabees one forty one. Moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that they should be one people. So today this is called the New World Order. That all the nations are going to agree and follow a system, and it's going to govern the world. And everyone should leave his laws. In other words, we do away with national sovereignty. National sovereignty is no longer important. We need to think of ourselves as North America, as South America, as Europe. And then we need to merge it and see, what are they trying to do with immigration? They're trying to make us all one people with all one set of laws, even though there's different people of faith who bring in different culture. They want in that society to adopt to the cultural norm in the place where they go. First Maccabees 142, and everyone should leave his laws or the way he lives his life. So all the heathen agreed. Yes, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion. Notice it's called his religion. Greek thought, Greek ways. First Maccabees is called a religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath. So once again, highlighting the primary outcome of the decrees of Antiochus, that people should not follow the Torah, not circumcise their children, should not celebrate the Sabbath, should not keep the festivals, there should no longer be sacrifice in the temple, and we can eat pig, I want to give an application of how ultimately that belief system has come into and is taught as the way in which we're supposed to express our faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, because when people are reading the New Testament, what they're doing is they're bringing in Greek thought into the reading and the understanding of the scripture. And so Greek thought is human reasoning. And so rather than reading the text through the eyes of the Torah or a Hebraic background and understanding with the Hebraic culture, they try to bring in human reasoning and Greek thought into the text. And so the outcome of the sons of Greece and their ways is ultimately they oppose following the Torah. Greek culture, Greek thought does not advocate following the Torah. So we have traditional Christianity that says the way we express our faith in Yeshua as the Messiah is to not follow the Torah because he nailed it to the cross. That is Greek thought. And so there are many things in the New Testament that they use as their reasoning as to how the New Testament teaches that you're not supposed to follow the Torah. Can't address them all, obviously, but I want to try to address something major in the New Testament that trips up believers, and that's Acts in chapter 15. And so I want to show you how Acts chapter 15 has been interpreted through Greek eyes and Greek thought rather than Hebraic thought. Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it says, When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and that how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And now we begin in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, where it says, And certain men came down from Judea, and they taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after 
after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5, For there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so what we do when we take this text, you see, this happened 2,000 years ago. So we take our present belief system that we've already established as being so, and now we read it into the text. And somehow we bring in Baptist thought into the text where the issue is, are you saved or are you not saved? And so it's translated, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. They're looking at the text as this is being a discussion about salvation and how you get saved because they don't understand the Hebraic background, the culture of the day, and they miss even what the issue that is being addressed really is. And so how it's interpreted, in addition to that, is that this is a discussion about whether the non-Jews should follow the Torah or not. That's how they read the text, because they're reading the text and they're using what their mind perceives as the meaning of the words. Instead of taking the words back into the culture, back to the Torah, and back to Hebraic thought. And so, just given the thought that they're discussing whether a non-Jew should follow the Torah or not, is actually quite amazing that someone would even consider that, because ultimately, if that is being considered, what it really means at the outset is we really don't know and understand what sin is. And we have a biblical definition of sin in 1 John in chapter 3 and verse 4. And it says that whoever commits sin transgresses the law or transgresses the Torah. For sin is the transgression of the Torah. So if we're interpreting Acts chapter 15 as to whether the non-Jews should follow the law or not and if sin is transgressing the law you mean we're having a debate here whether the non-Jews should sin or not. We don't think of it that way because we don't have the right definition of what sin is. Instead of seeing it as transgressing the law, we think, you know, I do something wrong. You all have your own idea of what constitutes wrong. And you know what we do in our society? We measure one thing that we say is wrong compared to something else that we say is wrong. And if somehow it's accepted that we do this, then they say, well, this sin isn't as bad compared to this sin. And if this is okay, then this is okay too. And all of a sudden you get to the point when you do that reasoning and take it step by step along the line. One sin gets accepted and then the next sin is compared to that. You know, ultimately you have a country that says, I don't see anything wrong with smoking pot. Some polls say that over half uh, Americans think there's nothing wrong with it. And, and if that's the case, we have a lot of Christians that think there's nothing wrong with it. So what, they think that you'll get greater reward in heaven the more pot you smoke? I mean, if it's good to do, I mean, Yeshua must be approving of it, and he's approving of it, must be something that you should get reward in heaven. But we don't think of it that way. We rationalize what we do comparing it to another sin. And as sin is more greatly tolerated in our society, then it's easier for us to justify things that was inconceivable to do in previous generations. And so, to even think that Acts 15 is a debate about
about whether the non-Jew should follow the Torah or not means that you really don't understand what sin is because if sin is transgressing the law, then what you're really saying is there's a debate about whether if non-Jews should sin or not. And so given that the definition of sin is transgressing the law, let me show you something that Paul said that's not rocket science. It's just understanding that sin's the transgression of the law. So in Romans chapter 4 verse 15 at the end of the verse, he says where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's not rocket science. If sin's the transgression of the law, what I have to do in court to prove that I've sinned, you have to show me where and how I've transgressed the law. But if there's no law, then there can't be no transgression because I can't break something that doesn't exist. So if Yeshua nailed the law to the cross, then the law isn't in this age, as they say. It's not present for us. It's not valid for us. And if sin's the transgression of the law, and there is no law in this age, because it was in another age, then it's not possible to sin. Romans chapter 5 and the end of verse 13, Paul says, Sin is not imputed. Imputed means to count against you. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. Sin is not counted against you when there is no law. Once again, it's not rocket science. It's just understanding the definition that sin's the transgression of the law. So if there is no law, I can't violate it, so it can't be imputed against me. And so the fact that we religiously accept that somehow that the New Testament and the letters that's in the New Testament is trying to tell us that we don't need to follow the Torah means we don't even know what sin is. And so in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So he just said we shouldn't sin. Well, if we shouldn't sin, that means we should follow the Torah. Because what I got to do to sin is transgress the Torah. So if Yeshua nailed the Torah to the cross and we're not in the age of following the Torah, and a sin is the transgression of the Torah, that means since he died on the cross, the application of the logic is since he died on the cross, it's not possible for anyone to sin. They only sinned before he died on the cross. But now since we're not in the age of law, then no one can sin. Well, it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You know you get paid for sinning? The Bible says how you get paid for sinning is you die. The wages of sin is death. Well, if sin is the transgression of the law, and if Yeshua nailed the law to the cross, then it's not possible to sin. And if it's not possible to sin, no one's sinned in the last 2,000 years, and so no one's died in the last 2,000 years. Because it's the wages of sin is death. If there's no sin, there's no transgression. And so no one has needed to repent of their sin in the last 2,000 years because we're in the age of grace instead of the age of law. So you see how we we take our accepted religious views and now we read it into the text and think that A, they're determining the proper way in which you get saved and then they're also ruling that we're not supposed to follow the Torah. So do you see how ridiculous to even mention the thought that the text has something to say in a ruling about whether a non-Jew should follow the Torah or not? So then what is the matter in Acts chapter 15? Because you see see, how the text is read with human reasoning is they're equating circumcision with keeping the law. 
And this is a dispute between Pharisaic believers because it's the sect of the Pharisees which believed that said it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so if you just read those words at its surface, it does seem with human reasoning that the meaning of circumcise them to keep the law of Moses is that this was about whether you should keep the law of Moses, which is human reasoning of the words. Instead of having a Hebraic thought, and said, what do those words mean in the culture based upon the debate that they were having? You see, what was being discussed is how does the non-Jew be accepted as a part of the family of the God of Israel? And how can the community accept an individual that was outside the community to be a part of the community? Because the Jewish culture is the Jewish people are a community of people, a family of people. So, ultimately what was being advocated for those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, is that they were to follow the Torah under the guidance of the rabbis and Pharisaic Judaism. That's what the argument was about, was not if you should follow the Torah, but how to follow the Torah the proper way. Does any of you know that there's disputes right now among us regarding how we should follow the Torah, the proper way to follow the Torah, and there's big disagreement regarding the answer that within the Messianic community or the Hebraic roots community, well, that's what's going on in the first century. Because there are those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, who believe you should follow the Torah, that advocate a rabbinic Jewish approach in doing so. That's what these Pharisees who believed were advocating. To come under rabbinic authority as the way in which you're supposed to follow the Torah in believing that Yeshua is the Messiah. That's what the debate is about. And so in order to really understand that, you need to understand what Pharisaic Judaism or Orthodox Judaism requires of a non-Jew to be accepted as a part of the Jewish community. It's called a conversion. And for a male, what a male has to do to be accepted by the religious Jewish community is to get circumcised. So to be accepted as a part of the covenant people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the eyes of the rabbis in order to be accepted in the stamp saying we recognize you as being a part of the covenant people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're a non-Jew, they require you to be circumcised. And so circumcised means you're a part of the covenant and the covenant says I'm supposed to follow the Torah. That's what the covenant is, that you follow the Torah. And so circumcision is synonymous with conversion and conversion means you're joining the covenant and the covenant it was to follow the Torah, so it circumcised them and to follow the Torah. So, what is the way that we are to follow the Torah as believers in Yeshua as Messiah in the New Covenant? Well, it says in Ezekiel in chapter 36 verses 26 and 27, A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. This says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my Torah. So we're supposed to follow the Torah by the Holy Spirit. If we go to Psalm in chapter 40 and verse 8, it says, 
I delight to do your will, oh my God, I delight to do your will. Your Torah is within my heart. And then, in speaking of the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, which is quoted in Hebrews in chapter 8 and verse 10. So we'll look at Hebrews 8, verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write it in their heart. The new covenant is the Torah written upon your heart. Well, that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject, the sons of Zion versus the sons of Greece. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.